Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us on Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Sabalero. And as we talk about uh, all things COVID, you know, it's really uh, exciting that you uh, have the opportunity to join us. And uh, hopefully we can give you some information today that uh, is really going to be beneficial. And before we begin, this episode of the Inside EMS podcast is sponsored by Boundary Medical. Learn how Boundary can help you save minutes and lives at Boundtree.com. And talking about saving lives, he's here, the man, the myth, the legend in his own mind, my good friend, Kelly Grayson KG. How are things going down there in world famous Pitkin, Louisiana? It's it's uh it's good, man. I'm I'm on my three day weekend off and uh, much needed. Uh, saw us a uh, 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 steady decline in, in uh, COVID nineteen patients in Louisiana, and uh, although in my area we, we got a little surge uh, uh, from one of the local facilities, uh, a couple of patients of which they neglected to tell me that they were COVID positive when we, uh, uh, despite the fact that they already knew that, but which kind of kind of rankled me a little bit. But we're wearing PPE on every call, so it's not that big of a deal, but yeah, and I think that I think that one of the things we've got to pay attention to is probably everybody we come in contact has COVID. We should play. Yeah. We should always plan that we have the COVID, and uh, you know, it's just going to be one of the things. I was amazed today. I went out to the Home Depot, um, and like I said in the last show, I'd love to see how much uh, Home Depot's profits go up with all these staycations that are going on. Um, but I, I got to tell you the amount of people that weren't wearing masks or the one that even got me more perplexed, Kelly, was the guy who was wearing masks and his daughter, maybe nine years old, wasn't wearing a mask. Um, really kind of interesting, but that's neither here nor there. You know, Kelly, I'm really excited today. You know, there's not a lot of times we get some really great guests on our show and I think we've been real lucky, but I got to tell you today, I've been really excited for our guests to come in and join us. And, uh, you know, this guy is, uh, when we talk about role models, when we talk about mentors, you know, certainly he's one of the guys that I put up there to try to emulate. Uh, I wish I could just grow a beard like him. Uh, that's Mike Tegman. He is a lifelong student. He is a consultant. He is a friend. He is the improvement guide at First Watch. And he's here to talk to us about a very, very important subject. Mike, I want to thank you for taking your time out and joining us on the Inside EMS podcast. I really appreciate uh, being invited invited to hang out with the cool kids here. Um, it's uh, uh, known the known the two of you uh, probably more than half my life, which um, talks about how old the three of us are. Um, but uh, as you were as you were describing masks, I, the last time I went to the grocery store, um, there was a, a woman in the produce section um, wearing a, a surgical mask, and she started to do the. <gasps> Uh, of getting ready to sneeze, and she pulled her mask down so that she could sneeze into the open air and not into her mask, and then put her mask back up. Uh, yeah, I was in the supermarket last week, and there was a guy wearing a uh, full face mask with a snorkel. So I thought that was pretty impressive. Wow. So, yeah, that was a good one. But you know, Mike, you know, I'm glad you're here, and uh, you know, the the various topics that we can talk about with you is just never ending. And uh, you're one of the people that I often describe that have a wealth of information over a cornucopia of topic. But one of the things that, you know, we, we've, we've done a really good job in this COVID-19 
pandemic to talk about a lot of things. You know, we've talked to EMS administrators, we've talked to ER nurses, to paramedics, you know, to medical directors. But one of the things that has really given me some concern, and I'm sure you as well, since this is a hot topic for you, is really the stress and, you know, the how we're going to manage this stress in these days of pandemic. So, you know, we, we've heard recently in New York City, which is the, you know, kind of the uh, hot spot for COVID, a couple of uh, an EMS worker, a uh, doctor, you know, they took their own lives because of what they were seeing and how they were dealing in management. And I'm really worried about this. I mean, from your side, what do we have to worry stress-wise when it comes to this pandemic? You know, it's a really, really vital question, and the and the the tragic loss of uh, the EMT and the director of an emergency department in New York City really, really highlight it. And and you know, in, in pre-COVID times, um, we suffer anxiety, depression, PTSD, and suicidal thoughts and and suicidal actions at a, a rate greater, at least three times greater than the general population, depending on which which research study you look at. So before COVID even hit, we had more stress, more um, emotional and psychological consequences to stress um, than, than the general population. And actually, uh, EMS in particular has just a little bit of a higher notch than either fire or law enforcement um, in, the, in the public safety realm. Um, so we we already had issues before we got into this, and and the COVID stuff has just it's just turned up the volume on it. I was um, exchanging Facebook messages with one of the the medics I used to work with in Oakland, and she's got a, a sixteen year or a six year old daughter, and um, she was getting ready for work, and she's uh, packing her second uh, uniform for the shift, and she's uh, she's leaving in civilian clothes and. And her daughter said, you know, mommy, why, uh, why are you taking two uniforms? And how come you're not dressed in your uniform? And um, Danielle said, you know, sometimes you have to, have to change your uniform at work. One uniform gets dirty. And, and her daughter looked up at her and said, mommy, please don't bring the coronavirus home to our family. Just crazy. Uh, Danielle, yeah. Danielle's wife is an ER nurse. And um, she's a, a paramedic in Oakland, and her, her wife's an ER nurse at San Francisco General Hospital. Um, so they're both high risk. Uh, they've got uh, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. You know, I just I I talk to so many friends who are getting undressed in the garage and putting their clothes in bags and showering before they come in to see their family, or 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 physically distancing from their family for fear of of transmitting the disease and you know the the donning and doffing of PPE is a, is a, a challenge anyhow and when you're doing it on almost every call um, and um, you know thinking about what you know what is that risk and and you know I know places are suffering economically which puts additional stress on us so the 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 stresses we're dealing with are just higher than they've ever been and they're and they're unlikely to to dissipate externally anytime soon uh yeah i i haven't seen my daughter katie beth uh one uh, only one time in the last month uh and that's that's kind of tough i mean she's a teenager so she locks herself in a room and stays on youtube and and uh social media the entire time she's here but at least i get to see her you know uh as she walks in and out the door and i haven't been able to do that uh um, Nancy calls me the, the coronavirus typhoid Mary. She says, you know, if, if 
if, if he's got it, I've got it. So she's got adopted a, a fatalistic approach to the whole thing, but it, it is truly, truly stressful. And, and Mike, I have a, a theory about, you know, people's motivations in EMS and, and how, why our mental health issues seem to be more prevalent than, than our brothers in public safety. I think that, that for a very large percentage of, of EMS people, I think we get into this profession because we sense something broken in ourselves and the way to fix it uh, or the way to heal it is to, is to help others. Um, and, and coming into the profession, like the young EMT that, that committed suicide recently, uh, coming to this profession in the midst of this coronavirus epidemic and, and seeing how little, uh, or, or at least seeing the only perspective is, is, is how can I help all these people, uh, can't be good for your mental health. If, if that's what your, your focus is when you're coming into EMS. No, no disagreement there. And I, I have, uh, had a, a similar shared sense and I, you know, I don't have any, any research to back that up, but certainly in, in conversations with folks, when you, you talk to them about why they got into the profession, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of stories of, you know, my, my dad collapsing in the, in the kitchen and cardiac arrest when I was a teenager and, uh, and what I did CPR on him, but he didn't come back. And, you know, hopefully I can help other people like I wasn't able to help my dad or, yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of those kinds of stories um, uh, and, you know, people having, um, you know, tough childhoods and trying to make other people's childhoods less tough um, when they take care of them on calls and those kinds of things. It does. Yeah. It does seem to seem to attract that. And and the work we do, um, you know, if you're if you have not had the opportunity to build resilience for yourself emotionally and psychologically. Um, it's, it's taxing and, you know, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I, I remember when I was in EMT and, and paramedic school, well, before many of the people listening to this podcast were born. Um, and while I was learning about differentially diagnosing wide complex tachycardia and is this shortness of breath, a pulmonary embolism or pulmonary edema or pneumonia or asthma, or, you know, and all, all of those kinds of clinical things, what I was what I was learning at a, a tacit kind of an unconscious level was that I, I kind of had to distance myself from a normal emotional reaction to human suffering. You know, that nobody, you know, when, when you show up on a scene and you've got a, uh, somebody who's fallen off their bike and, and snapped their, their femur in half so their patella is kissing their genitals, um, you don't want a, an EMT or a paramedic that goes, oh, my God, that looks like it hurts. That is terrible. You want somebody who's going... Um, you know, we're going to take good care of you. You're going to be cool and calm and collected, um, which is which is not a natural, normal human emotional response to suffering. And and it's like this emotional shield that you put on that is, you know, it's kind of like, you know, condoms and helmets and seat belts and soft body armor. They're all kind of barriers designed to protect you from something. And what, what these what, things is not like the other. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and. And, and I don't know, I can't see the two of you because we're on audio here. So I don't know if you're wearing condoms and helmets and soft body armor for this podcast. I, I'm, I am not just because I'm not engaged in an activity where I, I need that kind of protection. Um, but what I, I found for myself when I was young is that I had that emotional shield on all the time, you know, and yeah. it's probably no accident that um, I've been divorced twice and, and, and some of those kinds of things. And thankfully, I've 
I've gotten gotten the help and 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 reconnected with my emotions to the point where I I get teary at, at crappy television commercials. But um, you know, there's something there's something about being connected with your own emotions and 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 having kind of developed psychological and emotional muscles, just like you develop your your biceps and your quads and your back for lifting heavy patients. Um, you, you need to develop your emotions and, and your psychology to do the heavy lift of dealing with um, being exposed to a potentially life-threatening virus every day when you're out in the world and certainly while you're at work. You know, so Mike, I mean, a couple times I think what you brought up there is, you know, developing the tools, developing resilience, and really kind of getting us to a place where we can handle this. And you know, in your own opinion, I mean, as a, you know, as a teacher and as a consultant, how, how do you, how do you talk to the, you know, to the providers and, and give them the tools or, or kind of put them down a path to say, this is how you build these tools. I mean, I, and I make this comparison all the time, you know, in, in our day, and I, I hate saying that, but in our day, we would go out to these calls and we would see these things that would just really kind of shake us. And we'd go back to the station and we'd sit around the table and we'd talk about it. But nowadays, you know, you, you have the younger generation who comes back from this call. And as soon as they get back in the firehouse, as soon as they get back in the ambulance, as soon as they get back in the station, they're, they're on their phones or their iPads or whatever. I mean, so well, how, do we, how do we teach these folks or even the older folks, how do we build these tools for ourselves? That's a that's a really really good question, and um, I I have no desire to do a, a commercial here, but it, I've been I've been doing a lot of research into this concept of how to build resilience and what is what really makes up resilience, and and there's a handful of components that work together to make up a resilient person. Um, so you know having a having a, a good vision, having uh, the tenacity to be able to to stick with things, having uh, emotional self-control, so you can kind of recover from upsets quickly. Uh, having the the ability to to calm yourself, so that you have access to your your full cognitive ability, so you can uh, be effective at, at solving problems. And and as you just described, you know the importance of relationship and and collaboration is really critical uh, to our emotional and psychological health and our resilience. And as as part of my quest. Um, I connected uh, with a group of uh, neuroscience uh, researchers uh, combined with computer geeks, um, actually in Sydney, Australia, and have brought a, a system of theirs that we offer through First Watch, which is a, a system for um, assessing your resilience and then basically turning your, your smartphone into a, a resilience coach with three to five minutes a day worth of interaction and uh, education that's basically artificially intelligent machine learning kind of virtual coaching system uh, that over time, uh, with just a small investment of time and energy, really helps people develop their resilience. Um, there, there certainly are other ways to do it. There are a whole lot of other uh, classes out there and, and books. My experience is that resilience is very much like a muscle. Um, so it's just like, you know, sitting in class doesn't make you uh, competent to differentially diagnose a, a 12 lead EKG. You got to go look at a whole bunch of EKGs and talk to people about them and get feedback on them in order to actually get good at that. And and resilience is really very similar to that as, in that you need to to actively uh, exercise and and you know make these you know 
cognitive skills automatic. Um, there's a in, in neuroscience we talk about uh, two different general kinds of memory. There's uh, explicit memory and implicit memory. And uh, and Chris, do you do you remember uh, learning to drive a car? I uh, really don't remember it, but I knew that I was I was competently incompetent when I sat behind that wheel. Who t- who taught you to drive? Uh, it was actually a uh, friend of mine taught me. Okay, and Kelly, who taught you to drive? My dad taught me to drive. All right. So when you think back on that, and for me, it was the neighbor lady because my parents were too scared to be in a car alone with me driving. So. <laughs> um, that when you think about that memory, you pull it up and you know it's something that happened in the past, and that's an explicit memory. It lives in the in the hippocampus in your brain. Um, but uh, the two of you have both uh, driven sometime this year. I used to say sometime this week, but with uh, our staycation, I don't know how how recently people have driven. But you've both driven cars within uh, this year, right? Yes. Yep. And and the reality is, it's memory that allows you to drive the car to start the vehicle, to use the brake and the accelerator, to use the steering wheel and not hit anything, and uh, use turn signals unless you're in, in California where they're optional, but uh, some people use turn signals. Um, and and the ability to do all that stuff re- relies on your memory, but you don't experience that as memory you, you pull up from the back. Um, and that's that's implicit memory. It's just automatic. It's just something you just know how to do. And when it comes to resilience and stress management skills, if they're not implicit memories so that they get activated automatically without you having to work at it, um, they're, they're not actually going to be very supportive for you. I and am I, intrigued. Yeah, and i got to tell you, I mean, I can look at that, and there's so many questions that I was, I was writing these questions down as we were going because I don't know that we're going to fit them into the show. But before we go on to the next question, Mike, I really quick, I want to talk about Boundary as your partner in EMS for over 40 years, Boundtree has made it their goal to provide you with more than just emergency medical supplies and equipment. Boundtree partners with you to create efficiencies within your agency, streamline your operations, and help you find ways to make the most out of your budget. Your dedicated account manager will be your true partner, acting as your personal advisor to help you determine which solutions are right for you and your specific needs. To find out more or set up an account, visit Boundtree.com or call 800-533-0523. Kelly, I mean, when we hear the explanation of how we build resilience, I mean, Mm -hmm. it seems that we can go in so many different directions, but I'm interested to know your next question. Well, you stole my question, so I'm going to ask a a different one. Um, I'm still pondering the, the whole idea of your smartphone as a resilience coach. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick Mike's brain afterwards on this. But um, Mike, Chris asked you about, you know, strategies for developing resilience. I'll take another tack. Say your partner or a peer uh, lacks those strategies. They're, they're, they think they're strong, but in actuality, they're brittle. Um, and and they're having problems. What strategies would you suggest to help a peer uh, who is who's being whose mental wellness is is at risk from all the stress that they're undergoing these days? That's that's a, a really important question. And you know, as part of my as part of my research, uh, one of the one of the places that's done a lot of work um, on on this kind of thing, particularly stress in the moment. Um, has been the the U.S. military, particularly the United States Army, and there's a a whole group um, out of Walter Reed that has created this concept called Battle Mind, 
which uh, prepares soldiers to to go into battle, uh, helps them deal with their emotions during the course of battle, and sets them up to come home uh, with less PTSD and injury uh, than than folks before them have had. And one of the one of the concepts that they they talk about is the concept of having a battle buddy. Um, so when you're um, in in a stressful situation or stressful circumstance, uh, you're paired up with somebody else uh, specifically for the purposes of providing emotional and psychological support to each other and checking in with each other. So you know, having there's something about having that conversation early before before things are are too crazy um, that gives you permission to check in and ask and a request for somebody to check in and, and ask about you. And that, that empathy and compassion, that really connecting with somebody else and, and saying, you know, Hey, how are you doing? And, you know, people who are kind of often will often say, I'm fine. I'm fine. And uh, fine stands for effed up, insecure, needy, and emotional. I'm fine. <laughs> and um, you, uh, you know, so it's like taking a breath and connecting and 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 using your your open heart and your open compassion to to connect with them. Sometimes without necessarily even using any words. There's a it's a fascinating bit of neuroscience. Um, you know, our limbic system that part of the brain that's sometimes referred to as the lizard brain or our emotional brain. Um, you know, you see the pictures of it and it's that, you know, wad of stuff in the, in the middle of the, the picture of the, the brain drawing in books. And um, the limbic system, actually, there's, there is a, it's, there's an open nature uh, to your limbic system that is, is really very interpersonal. And there's a concept called interpersonal limbic regulation, and they have done research that says um, you can influence somebody else's immune system, uh, their cardiovascular output, um, and their. Um, I'm trying to. There's like uh, two other two other aspects that I'm not uh, pulling up out of my own memory right in the moment. That you can that you can actually influence just with your presence and your connection and being with somebody else. So. When, when you notice the potential of suffering or the path toward suffering um, and your partner, you know, taking, taking that pause to really connect and, and, and doing so not like you're, you know, going to save them or be the hero or be their psychologist or anything like that. Um, but just, just that connection um, has the potential to open them up a bit. And the other, the other thing that's fascinating, and there's a, it's a wonderful book that came out last summer uh, called Compassionomics, uh, which is uh, two physicians who looked at all of the research science around compassion and medicine and its impact on people. And, and in addition to things like uh, if your trauma surgeon is compassionate, uh, you'll get out of the hospital uh, a day and a half faster than if your uh, trauma surgeon's not compassionate, if you come in with a shooting or a stabbing or a, a bad car crash for yourself. Wait, you um, mentioned passionate and surgeon, uh, compassionate and surgeon in the same sentence. I've I, never I, seen that done before. I, I know it's a crazy, <laughs> it's a crazy concept. Um, but also in this book, they they laid out a number of research studies that show um, the the extension of compassion to other people 
nurtures your own resilience. So we were talking earlier about ways to develop your resilience. Um, one of them is by extending compassion in the world, um, either directly to somebody else or you know globally through you know donations or doing doing podcasts like the two of you are doing or or whatever that happens to be. That's a that's a way to nurture your resilience um, by by empathy and compassion and kindness to other folks. Wow. Very interesting. You know, so Mike, you know, we've touched on so many different things and, you know, we can continue this conversation forever. I do want to ask you another question. So EMS, you know, um, historically EMS providers, they don't necessarily know when they have gotten to a point of maybe feeling um, stress or dealing with that stress. And up until this point of the pandemic, um, which I now think is going to multiply this stress, what should we be looking out for as providers to say, you know what, maybe I'm getting a little bit too deep, maybe I've had a little bit too much, but uh, it worries me that we had this foundation of stress that we may not have been dealing with now compounded by the things that we're seeing and those folks out there in New York City who seem to be getting the brunt of this. What are we looking out for? That's a that's a vital, vital question. And and that that awareness of kind of your own stress signs um, is a is a is a key aspect of stress management and and for getting through the long haul of this pandemic. Um, and you know, certainly in the moment, you know that noticing your palms are sweaty. Um, for me, the very first sign that I'm getting stressed is my peripheral vision gets a little bit fuzzy. Um, some people uh, notice that they're kind of pumping their hands. Other people uh, notice a little kind of grab in their solar plexus. Some some people notice that their jaws kind of tighten. So, so those are kind of like kind of those acute signs, and I really really encourage people to, you know, there's a little technique you can do of just kind of closing your eyes and imagine something stressful. And most of us don't have to think very hard to imagine something stressful in our lives. And then just do an inventory of our body to notice where does that show up first so that you can start to really attune to your own kind of acute stress signs. Um, so then you can take action to kind of dial down your own sympathetic nervous system response. Um, when it, when it comes to the more chronic, more insidious stress, um, the it, it it shows up in a number of a number of different ways for folks. So, uh, and that you know you talk whether you talk about um, you know burnout or compassion fatigue, um, those are you know and post traumatic stress. I mean, those are all kind of the same wine in a different bottle, if you will. Um, and that when you notice yourself kind of. Uh, not caring about things you used to care about, um, that you know that you're you have less tolerance um, for um, little little things in life that um, used to just you know you just blew off and didn't worry about, but you're you're less tolerant about them. You know when you when you have yeah, that's a big one for me. Yeah, you know, and and it is it is for me too. Um, and um, and and I you know I've noticed noticed it you know and and. Uh, something with my wife just recently um, where it was like, I, you know, I kind of snapped at something normally I would not snap at and I immediately caught it and 
apologized and worked it out. And 15 minutes later, she snapped at something she normally wouldn't bother about. And, you know, just that kind of recognition between the two of us and, and, and our family. She's my battle buddy, if you will. Um, just kind of recognizing that 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 kind of issue. Um, and um, when when you're with other people and, and they're they start uh, checking in with you and going, you know, I, are you all right? You know, what I mean, yeah. and, and, and if your first thought is, what, I'm fine, I'm fine, fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and That's what fine means. yeah, I mean, if somebody's picking up on something that is causing them to inquire about your state of well-being, that's a clue. And, and, and maybe you are fine, but maybe there's something going on that if you just take a breath and check in and, and, you know, ask yourself, you know, what is it you need? Maybe, maybe you need to delete your Facebook app for a week and just, you know, let, you know, let that part of the world go on without you for a little bit. Um, maybe, um, rather than, uh, than watching, you know, CNN or Fox news or MSNBC or whatever it is, uh, every night for an hour before you go to bed, you know, maybe you switch to watch the, the Kardashians or Game of Thrones or something, something that is mindless and will take your, take your yeah. brain somewhere else, you know, just kind of checking in and saying, you know, what do I, what do I need to do? Um, you know, for me, one of the, one of the things that's always been helpful is exercise of some kind and movement. And, it, you know, I don't have to go run a triathlon, but just, you know, going for a walk for a half hour, you know, can really help kind of reset, reset my system. And I'm, I'm going to share with you one, uh, one uh, technique that'll, that'll be in the, in the book we just sent to the, to the designer today, but um, it, it comes from uh, the MD, PhD um, uh, researcher who's really an expert in um, basically adverse childhood events and, and childhood trauma. He's from Houston, Texas. And um, he, he, it was a stress management uh, seminar that was being hosted by uh, UCSF, a bunch of folks on it. And he was uh, speaking and he said, you know, um, before we were born, we were, when we were in our, our mother's uterus, um, it, was, it, was, it was warm. Uh, we were in a, an, an environment of moisture. We weren't hungry. We weren't thirsty. And we were constantly soothed by both the sound and the vibration of our mother's heartbeat. And he said, you know, when you when you talk about getting stressed and kind of uncentered, you know, that kind of original state is like the the original being centered. Um, so one of the, the tricks, uh, particularly during this time of coronavirus, is to, you know, draw yourself a, a, a bath and uh, make sure you've got a little food in your belly and uh, and uh, and slide in and. Um, put on uh, put on some music um, that has a beat of 60 to 80 beats per minute, and it can be uh, powerfully just really relaxing if you just kind of let yourself, uh, you know, kind of reconnect with what your you know ideal most blissful state is. Um, and and if you can find things like that to do on a pretty regular basis, you can really manage yourself on a day to day basis throughout. Uh, this entire pandemic and come out the other side, not only okay, but maybe even emotionally and psychologically healthier than when you went in. Yeah, that's going to be a great, uh, a great uh, surprise if we can do that. Mike, you, you did mention your book that's coming out. 
and we would like to go ahead and uh, you know let the listeners know about that and uh, uh, contribute to your retirement. Uh, we don't mind pimping that here for you. So if you want to tell the folks a little bit about it, when it may be coming out, and how they can get their hands on it, I think that would be uh, awesome. It's uh, it is it's very kind of you to allow me to to talk about it. It was actually. Uh, inspired by uh, a webinar we did with our, our friends at uh, EMS One and, and Police One and Fire One here uh, a few weeks ago with all this stress management stuff. I, I reached out to Greg Fries and company there and said, hey, uh, uh, you want to do a, a webinar on stress management? And they said, sure. And and with four days notice, we put it out and we had 10,600 people sign up for it. Um, it's the largest audience I've ever spoken to. And I did it in my pajama bottoms, which was an interesting um, interesting experience. And I, uh, afterwards, um, I sent out an email to a whole bunch of folks and said, you know, if you've used any of the techniques we talked about in the webinar we did last week and, and they've worked for you, I'd love to hear about it. And I got over 600 emails, uh, back from, from F-16 fighter pilots, from, uh, FBI agents, from EMTs, from volunteer firefighters, from, fire chiefs from fish and game officers. It was just a, it's a crazy response of people, you know, actually using um, these and and an emergency uh, medicine physician at Mount Sinai in New York, which has seen the worst of all this stuff. Um, He's got a couple of the techniques that he uses every day when he's on duty several times a day. And it was like, we need to make these techniques more available. So uh, wrote a, wrote a book that is titled uh, supercharge your stress management in the age of COVID-19 it's a handbook for emergency services providers and healthcare professionals. And um, if my copy editor and book designer uh, are able to crank on it, the electronic version at least uh, should be available by the end of this month. That is that is awesome. And yet another Mike Tegman book that I'm going to add to the library. Uh, Mike, it was great to have you on the show today. And and the the strategies you talk about uh, about managing your stress and developing resilience, I think, are going to resonate with uh, a great many EMS and public safety providers. Um, and I'm, I'm for one, I'm grateful for it. But hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. How are you developing resilience at your own agency and in and in yourself? Um, what kind of peer support do you have? What are the deficiencies that you need to you see needing addressed at your agency? We'd like to hear your thoughts on the topic at the show at EMS1.com. And for myself, co-host Chris Sabalero and a true legend in EMS, Mike Tegman. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're gonna catch you guys next week. Take Thank care you so of each much other for having time. Awesome.